Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. It is January 27th, and I have grot, <laughs> grot, I've got a great show for you this week, people. Yeah, um, so I was just having a moment with the wife here, and I'm going to give you a secret here. The secret to a long marriage. Um, laughter. That's, <laughs> that's really all it comes down to. We were brushing our teeth, and it just... Okay, well, I'm also ripping a CD here, and that's what you just heard now. We were brushing our teeth, and I just said something goofy about her, and it started this avalanche of giggling and laughter, where we were both crying because we were laughing so hard. If you, you have to be able to laugh at yourself in a relationship, and it will... If you're able to do that and, you know, jokingly joke about each other, jokingly joke about each other, um, yeah, it really, really builds a strong and powerful relationship. Because you're not taking everything so seriously and so personally, you know, able to let it just roll off your back. There's that old saying of never go to bed angry. Well, I would say if you can laugh at yourself, you there's nothing to be angry about. So, <laughs> yeah, Adam's secret to a long and happy marriage is, okay, there's a couple things. Sex. <laughs> That's just, I have to add that in. Sex and laughter. Maybe even at the same time. Sometimes that happens, people. <laughs> so, uh, you know, for whatever it's worth. Uh, okay, so the inauguration of the new <laughs> new president. <laughs> the, the inauguration happened last week, and I loved watching it i i don't really care who the president is even when it was bush and um you know bush before that and um clinton i it's just this tradition of america of the bringing in of the new president or swearing in for the second term of the existing president it's it's really just the process of america all wrapped up into one ritual that we all adhere and it is amazing, and as someone who loves politics and is a patriot and, and loves what America's core values are, you know, I can, I, can, I can shave off all the praying and shit that goes on there because <laughs> what it means to me, you know, it's, it's that reaffirmation of the passing the torch and democracy in action of people going out deciding who their president is going to be, and then that president stepping up and donning that mantle. And Beyonce, whether or not it was pre-recorded, sang the shit out of our national anthem. It was amazing. I, <laughs> It was the best version of the national anthem I've ever heard. 
and uh, she's beautiful, and her voice is beautiful. It was it was really really a great inauguration in my book. Uh, not as big as last year's, but then I'm sorry the the previous um, terms. But again, that was that was historic. So you know you expect those to have huge huge crowds, which it did. Um, and this was just sort of you know re-upping the same guy, so it wasn't as big. But you know I can I can accept that it wasn't wasn't a big deal. Um, also this week, I had recorded the homebrewing video, and this, <laughs> okay, I have to, I'm going to blame, I'm going to blame uh, uh, Miss uh, uh, Peggy Nadramia <laughs> on this one, because it might have been this offhanded comment, but we were talking about homebrewing somewhere in social networkings, Darren Deicide, um and I, or he brought up a post with my name in it or something like that, and uh she made this sort of offhanded mark. Oh, I'd like to see the, you know, the brewing. So I sort of uh, thought, well, you know, I could bring a home brewing video, or I could bring a home brewing video. You know, like, like there's there's just recording yourself brewing, and then there's making a production out of it. And so I sort of put the question out there: Should I do this in nothing but a brewing apron? Period. <laughs> and a lot of people, many more than I expected said that yes I should so I had to set up this little skit where I was literally naked except for a brewing apron presenting this video but this is a project that is a little bit more you know at least I'm gonna be building up it up into something more than just a video of homebrewing I'm going to you know just create a blog about my my passion for homebrewing and the friends of mine who want to jump in on this and um, share their homebrewing thoughts and and really it, you know reaching out to any homebrewer uh, is welcome to contribute to this blog, but I, <laughs> I it's called Wart Nation and Wart is essentially the liquid that you are brewing that is the beer um, it's you know after you've added your grains and your hops uh, and your malt. That's when it really becomes wart instead of just water. But yeah, so I made this video and it was it was embarrassing to watch and I'm still putting it together and I've I've got music being composed for it. So <laughs> I may be going overboard as I am prone to do for just an offhanded comment, but it's not gonna be my fault. <laughs> I'm not taking responsibility. No, it's it's gonna be a lot of fun and if you can if you can Look at it in the the spirit it was intended. Because it can come off pretty goddamn creeper. If you're just watching it and you're seeing some, like, naked dude in an apron, it's pretty damn creepy. And to be fair, not the whole time in just the apron. But, uh, <laughs> it was part of it. So if you want to see that, I'm going to be posting on social networking circles. And when it's, um, it's going to be close to, like, 45 minutes or an hour, to be honest. Um, even though the process took much longer than that, but just my sort of explanation of the, what I was doing and, you know, brewing history uh, with me and stuff like that. So it, it's informative. Hopefully it's entertaining and it's going to be on YouTube and I'm going to share it out everywhere for anyone who is interested. And if you're interested in maybe just kind of getting the window in what a, a brew day is like for me, uh, <laughs> you know, you're welcome to check it out. It's not pushing any products. It's not for sale or anything like that. It's, it's purely just me goofing off and having fun for some friends, uh, entertainment or 
edutainment? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, you know what else is free? RadioFreeSatan.com. That's free. But we still have to pay bills. And like I told you when I started this, and I actually warned you guys beginning in December, but this is the last day that I'm going to be shelling for the donations. So you can go to the homepage, not the splash page, but the homepage of RadioFreeSatan.com, and on the right column, there's an actual donate button. And we encourage donations because we have to pay music license fees server storage fees uh domain name fees um badassery fees we have to pay a lot of fees and we need your help to do it so i'm going to reward you though no one apparently <laughs> wants any of the rewards i'm offering <laughs> but it's free so who cares i'm still going to reward you if you're interested Okay, so at the $10 level, I'll give you the Black House Blues' copy, MP3, of Hymn of the Satanic Empire. You cannot get it anywhere else as an MP3. At the $15 donation level, I will give you the Nine Cents Presents Satanists on Satanic Cinema, the Brotherhood of Satan episode, featuring guests Magister Matt G. Paradise and Reverend Bill M. Unavailable anywhere else. At the $15 level, you can get it. No one else will have it. And at the $20 level, I will give you the ebook of How Crow Got a Scare Back. Now, this is not the PDF. It's the ebook. So it's the, the text is able to be uh, increased or decreased in size in your ebook reader. You can bookmark pages. Uh, the images flow with the copy as it's adjusted. It's a lot of fun, and it's a lot better than just a PDF. Um, and it's a good alternative if you're into the electronic books. Um, to the the published book and I'm gonna give it to you for free gratis that is right at the $20 level but at the $20 level if you don't want any of them that's fine um, but if you want one of them that's at the lower level just let me know and I'll give you that one and I'll tell you what if you donate $30 and you send me your email so I can verify that it was uh, accepted and um, you know by the station I'll give you everything I'll give you the Black House Blues, Hymn of the Satanic Empire MP3. I'll give you the Nine Cents Presents, Satanist and Satanic Cinema, the Brotherhood of Satan episode free. And I'll give you the ebook free. All three packs together at $30. Now, I'm not selling these to you. You're giving, you're, you're, you're donating money to help Radio Free Satan keep going. And this is the only time I'm going to offer it. So, at $30, all three free gifts from Nine Cents to you just for doing something that, in my opinion, you should be doing anyway, and that's helping survive a true satanic forum for music, entertainment, and information. RadioFreeSatan.com is literally the only source of online satanic content that you're going to find. Period. So, help them keep going and together we will move into the new age uh, of fire with uh, some amazing music personalities and information. All right, let's do that. But I do have a great show for you other than that in The Devil's Advocate. I'm going to go over the essay Killing Time by Magister Rose in Infernal Informant. This article was given to me. Thank you very much, my dear. Former child bride escapes FLDS community with children and feds Connecticut priest Monsignor Meth deals drugs, bought sex shop. I cannot wait to get into that article. And the creature feature, I'm going to give you my review of a book I read earlier this month called No Easy Day by Mark Owen. 
uh, it's it's a really goddamned good book. And the Pentagon was going to prosecute Mark Owen over it. So you know that there's some information in there that's interesting. And having read it, I can say that yes, there is. And a little that's infuriating when you get down to it. So I'll go over that and hopefully you'll check out the book on your own time. But that's going to do it for another nine cents. So sit back, grab your glass of homebrew if you have it, or whatever you're drinking right now otherwise, and let's dive in. I don't know. Sip it. <laughs> Here we go. You are your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And you are the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm an active member in the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Killing Time. Thoughts on dealing with Christians and other kindred vermin by Magister Michael Rose. This can be found at the Church of Satan website, churchofsatan.com, under um, <laughs> theory and practice. I, I'm stammering there. All right, I'm going to read you the first little part, and then I'm going to give some personal uh, experience and uh, a little bit of clarity um, with my interpretation, or, or, or clarity in my interpretation. I think he does a wonderful job of being very straightforward and clear in the article itself. And if you haven't read it yet, get out there to the website and read it. I occasionally get letters from people asking me how best to deal with Christians. Although from time to time other groups will be named most more similar to Christians in some sense or other. Perhaps the best answer is to deal with them as briefly and as infrequently as possible. However, this answer is seldom considered satisfactory by these inquirers. What follows are a few thoughts on the subject. Some people want to know, how can you convince these people that they are wrong and you are right? My first thought is, who cares? Such debates generally go nowhere. If this is something that you feel is really important, all you can do is set your facts and evidences forth. If your audience is like most Christians, you will accomplish little or, more likely, nothing by doing so. To a Christian, the only facts that matter are found between the covers of a Bible. You cannot reason with people who believe that their God has exalted the foolish and chooses to work through miracles. Ask yourself this question. Why am I so concerned with what this idiot thinks of me and my beliefs and ideas? And he goes on, and this is actually a really brilliant article. It speaks to a few things that I've, I've, I've talked to in past episodes, recent past episodes, uh, especially last week, but also to how one should approach this idea, and not just with Satanism and Christianity, but with your life. And that is, why are you so concerned with sharing your ideas or dispelling myths to others when you know that the information's out there. If they want truth, then they will find it themselves. Otherwise, they're just going to pretend... Like, there's the, the ultimate uh, sort of fallback that they go to. Um, 
Well, you're a Satanist, so you deal with the spiritual Satan who is a liar. So everything you're telling me is a lie to convince me that Satanism is not bad. When my pastor tells me that it is, and he's speaking from God, so he's right and you're wrong no matter what you say. So if they can always fall back to that argument, which in their minds is a completely rational way of thinking, you will never get through to them. Now, when I, and, and this is really like first stage satanic thinking, in my opinion. Nothing wrong with it. I think anyone who gets into Christianity, I'm sorry, anyone who gets into Satanism from being a form of Christian will go through this. Is that you try to convince, after you realize what it is and that you are a Satanist, in fact, you're going to try to explain to those that you consider a value, your friends or family, that it's not what they think it is and that maybe they're Satanists too and that maybe if you just clarify it maybe they will be the same way you are but there's a very harsh flaw in that way of thinking and that's that we are born this way and there are very few of us out there and that means that there are very few Satanists out there <laughs> said the same thing twice there did you get it the second time? Your parents, your friends, your best friend, your girlfriend, they're probably not Satanists. And that's okay. They are them. But as long as they're not trying to, you know, convert you or save you or whatever it is, it's okay that they're not Satanists. You are. And you need to focus on you. Not trying to convince them of... And, and what, it, what are you trying to say exactly? That Satanism is wonderful. It's the greatest thing in the world. So that, what, everyone will be a Satanist? We don't want that. Master Michael Rose speaks in this essay specifically to that, saying, you think that they're fools. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of just uh, giving my own spin on his, uh, his um, verbiage here. You think that they're fools and idiots as Christians. Wait till you get catch them playing Satanist. Because once you embrace sin, there are no levels involved at that point. Because their minds are formed in a way that to be holy is X and to be sinning is Y. And that everything that we respect, i.e. the laws in the society you live, um, cherishing children, protecting of animals, except for in cases of eating them, um, or danger to yourself... They don't see those distinctions. They just see that uh, I wasn't supposed to kill before, but now I'm evil, so I can. So there's the, the, the freaks that are still Christians, but trying to act the bad guy way and doing everything wrong in the meantime. So there'll be the devil worshippers that are, you know, cutting up uh, chickens, thinking that they're summoning some spiritual Satan, all the while completely ignoring the reality of what Satanism is, because they are not Satanists, so they will never get it. Now, I've said this a number of times in life experience, in that we are born with a certain capacity, and this is proof, in my mind, with Satanists. We are born Satanists, quite literally. We see the world completely different than everyone else. And that means that there are people who are born as sheep. 
They are born as Christians. They want someone to look up to and to accept them and to pat them on the head and to scold them and to, to push them in a direction to go to. That's how and who they are. That's how they behave. And they can't go against it because that's their nature. They're just the natural vermin of this earth. And they will always be that way, no matter how loudly you proclaim their ignorance or their ignorance. Uh, uh, the stupidity of their actions, they will never be able to change because they are incapable of change. They were born to be stupid. Now, that's not to say that everyone who's a Christian now isn't born a Satanist, because quite literally, there are many of us who were raised as Christians or Christian-like and have come through it realizing how absurd it is, but we did it on our own terms, and there wasn't someone pushing us and guiding us the whole way. That's not the way Satanism works. You don't go out there and proselytize. You don't go out there and convert. That is not satanic. So if that's what you're trying to do by trying to clarify and ease people's nerves about what Satanism is, so what? They'll shake your hand when they see you? They'll give you a big hug? For whatever weird, selfish reason, it's not a satanic thing to do. What you need to be doing is worrying less about what other people think of you and worrying more about your achievement in life and living your life. Because if you're living your life convincing other people of an idea that you have, then you're not truly living. You're trying to live someone else's life, trying to convince them of something else. Worry about you. And you know what? The amazing thing is, they're going to see your success. They're going to see your personal courage. And they're going to see your personal strength through your accomplishments. And that's going to be the most convincing thing of all. So if you really want to convince someone that Satanism is a good thing, then how about you just be a good goddamn Satanist? Period. Now, I have had personal experience with this because my parents, <laughs> I tried to convince them early on of what Satanism really was, and they refused to see it. I, my sister won't even talk to me because she's a Mormon, a staunch, hardcore Mormon, and refuses everything I've ever said about Satanism to be believed as truth, even though it's printed. It exists in the physical world. Everything that she knows is that Satan is a liar. I align myself with the metaphor of Satan. Hence, I am lying. And I'll never get through to her. And I love her dearly. But she's a fucking idiot. And I will never be able to get through to her head. That's And that's her choice. And I'm okay with that. Because I'm not living my life through her eyes. I'm living it for myself and for those that I love and want to be a part of my life. That's the most important thing. It's all about you. It's not about what other people think. So stop trying to convince people. And this could follow suit with that ridiculous satanic temple bullshit that's going on in Florida right now. It'll die out in another four to eight hours, I'm sure. But don't try to convince people of what Satanism really is because it's good. It's, it's great. It's shut up and just live your life. And it will all come out in the wash. We're coming up on 50 years, people. And that wasn't... That accomplishment isn't made by proselytizing. That accomplishment is made by success. Let's keep going. All right, anyway, um, Magister Michael Rose did an amazing job with this uh, essay. 
get out there at churchofsatan.com theory practice read it for yourself he touches on a lot of things i never even touched on during this discussion and uh much more eloquently i'll have to say so let's go and jump into the infernal informant Hey, hey, come here. Psst, what? Huh? Me? Do I know you? Hey, you're a religious man, aren't you? No more than anyone else? Listen, listen, I got a secret. It's, it's been eating me up, and I gotta share it with someone. Get the fuck out of here, kid. I don't know you. No, listen, man. It's about you. It's about your life. You're about to have what, what alcoholics refer to as your moment of clarity. What are you talking about? Are you okay, son? Sins are indisposable to every society organized on an ecclesiastical basis. They are only reliable weapons of power. The priest lives upon sins. It's it's necessary to him that there be sinning. Who the fuck are you, kid? I'm your infernal informant. I'm drinking a very nice Chardonnay. Okay, this is an ABC News article. Former Child Bride Escapes FLDS Community with Children by Christina NG. And this was posted on January 24th. And this is the uh, article that I was given by a listener. Thank you, my dear. Ruby Jessup's children are thrilled to be off of a strictly imposed all-bean diet ordered by jailed polygamous leader Warren Jeffs. It's like they cannot get enough food in their bellies. They want to taste and try everything, Jessup's relieved sister Flora Jessup told ABCNews.com. Until recently, Flora Jessup said she didn't know if she would ever see her sister again. Ruby Jessup was forced into an arranged marriage with her stepbrother when she was 14 years old, according to her sister and the Arizona Attorney General. Twelve years ago, I got a call from my sister, who was 14 years old and had been placed in an arranged marriage. Flora Jessup told ABCNews.com. She had managed to get away, and I gave her a promise that I would do anything I could to keep her safe. Then, before I could get to her and get her help, she disappeared and was taken back into the group. Jessup, now 26, managed to flee from a radical faction of the Mormon church called the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, more commonly known as FLDS, earlier this month. She was then able to gain temporary custody of her six children, who ranged from two to ten years old. Her escape was announced on Tuesday by Arizona Attorney General Tom Horn. I've been searching for her for 12 years, and she was hidden from us, Flora Jessup said. Every time I got close to the community, they would pack her in a car and move her into hiding, ensuring that we couldn't get her close to her. It is unacceptable that anyone would be married against her will and forced to live in a community in which she feels unsafe, Horn said in a news release. Ruby Jessup was forced into marriage by FLDS leader Warren Jeffs, who compelled her to marry her second cousin, Haven Barlow, in 2001. Her exact whereabouts were unknown for years, until very recently when she was able to escape the town. The Attorney General's office has not provided details on how Jessup escaped or got temporary custody of her children, but said the escape was aided by $420,000 Horn made available. He said the money went toward more deputies working in Colorado City, an FLDS stronghold. The deputies were instrumental in helping Jessup and her children leave safely, Horn said. Horn emphasized the need for more funding at a news conference, saying the current funds will run out in six months. Ruby is one of thousands that have been trapped and abused 
and held under the regime of Warren Jeffs, and she is just so happy to be out, and her children are excited and able to go to school for the first time, Flora Jessup said. To watch them play with toys and learn to become children has just been amazing. Ruby Jessup and her children are staying with her sister until they find a place to live. Her attorney has advised her not to speak publicly while the custody of her children is temporary, though her sister says she's doing well. Jessup's husband, Haven Barlow, could not immediately be reached for comment. Barlow was in his early 20s when he and Jessup, Ruby Jessup married. Flora Jessup claims that after her sister was able to get away, the FLDS would not give her her children, and that Colorado City Marshal's Office, which she calls Warren Jeff's personal security force, did everything they could to block her getting access to her children. Blake Hamilton, an attorney for the Marshal's Office, vehemently denies the claim. Escape from polygamy. This is absolutely not True, Hamilton told ABCNews.com. I don't know exactly what she's alleging here, but the Marshal's office has not gotten in the way of people wanting to leave the community or of obstructing any type of justice being carried out as far as people getting their children. He says the officers are all trained and certified peace officers, and they have no knowledge of Ruby Jessup ever approaching the Marshal's office for helping securing her children. Horn has been asked for community support on a bill that would authorize Mojave County Sheriff's deputies to police Colorado City instead of the Marshal's Office, who are under the control of the dominant church, he says. That is one thing that would benefit the community more than any other thing that could happen, because it effectively will take away the control and power base that FLDS uses to control the women and children, Flora Jessup said. I think it's telling, that statement. And it's very, very true Oh, this is funny. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm reading this and there's an article for the book, No Easy Day, that I'm going to be reviewing up. Oh, how nice. Um, okay, so, <laughs> sorry, a little sidetrack there. ADHD. No, it's telling because w what they're saying is that this religious institution is forcing women and children to act a certain way. This is, this is religion 101, people. This is complete Islamic Judeo-Christianity personified. The men are insecure and they want control. They force women to do something. If they can keep their children, they can control the women. And they just sort of perpetuate the cycle of abuse and control. <laughs> All the while, never really seeing women for what they are. And they're these... Okay, and I understand I have some homosexual listeners and they don't feel the same way that I do. That's cool. I think women are fucking amazing. I was, I was, of course, raised by more women than than men, so I have a lot more women in my life than I ever had of men growing up. So I see it maybe from a different perspective, but there is a complexity, there is a strength that that women have that I find so attractive. And if you're abusing them, you don't get to see that. You don't get to see that inner fire. That, that burns you when you get close to you, when you get close to it, that ignites this passion within you, you don't get to see what real women are like. It's, it's akin to, we actually, you know, the dog that we have, Minnie, beautiful dog, I love her to death, but she was abused before we got her from the um, Humane Society, so uh, she is still never really coming out of her shell, so we are never actually, this is horrible that I'm equating my dog to FLDS women, but I think, I think the argument's going to make sense here in a second. We are never going to get to know the true personality of that dog. 
um, at least it's taken two years and we still haven't gotten to her real personality. You know, the only time she closely comes out is when we're out hiking or camping. And then she just opens up and it's amazing. She's, she's fantastic. As soon as we get in the house, closes down completely. And that's the same with these women. Unless you get them away from that compound, they will never be able to be strong. And this can actually echo into any type of relationship. If you are in a dominating relationship where you're controlling those around you, you're never actually seeing the greatness that they can actually be. Because you're holding them back. You're doing it because you know that there's a spark of something in them that you love. But the irony there is that that spark will never burn into or, or, or burst into a flame until you let them go. Now, that may mean that they grow past you. They grow away from you. But that has to happen. You cannot control people in life. You can manipulate them. Hey, that's what lesser magic's all about. But you do not have the right to dominate them. That is beyond what is okay in a human relationship. So you have to encourage them to really grow and be themselves. And I'm sort of talking away from this article now, so let me, let me pull it back here. In June, the U.S. Department of Justice filed a complaint against the Colorado City government and the local marshal's office alleging civil rights violations. The com uh, complaint... <laughs> complaint... Um, this uh, Chardonnay... Uh into my head, I think. The complaint alleged the Colorado City Marshal's Office routinely uses its enforcement authority to enforce the edicts and will of the FLDS, fails to protect non-FLDS individuals from victimization by FLDS individuals, refuses to cooperate with other law enforcement agencies' investigations of FLDS individuals, selectively enforces laws against non-FLDS, and uses its authority to facilitate unlawful evictions of non-FLDS, among other unlawful conduct. Jeff Matura, a lawyer for Colorado City, denied the allegations made in the lawsuit. We have our day in court, Matura told the Associated Press in June. He said the town utilities won't or don't discriminate against anyone. That's not a question on the application that says, what's your religion? Flora Jessup, yeah, but you can tell. You can tell if you're in the FLDS or if you're not. So you don't have to have a little checkbox to uh, encourage or, or to discriminate, you idiot. Just look at them, look at their clothing, see who they're associated with. You don't think, you don't think that if they're FLDS, they're not going to come up and start talking about it to the people? That's what freaking fundamentalists do. That's, that's the whole lives is religion. So there's a, a speech that they use, just a dialect that encourages, um, and it's like, it's exactly mirrored in Masons. Ways they stand, ways they hold their hands, the way they speak to people to test and see if they're also Masons. Fundamentalist Christians do the exact same thing in the FLDS too. They put out little feelers, and so they can tell without a little checkbox on a paper, you retard, whether or not they're actually members. It's just so, just unbelievable that they're, well, there's not a checkbox, so how could they possibly discriminate? Ha ha ha. Fucking idiot. Uh, Flora Jessup left the complete and utter suffering of the FLDS community in 1986 and wants to help others who wish to break free from the controlling community. For now, she says she, enjoy she enjoys catching up on lost years with her sister. I never did grow up, and I never thought I would see the day that I would reunite with her either. She said, uh, I've been on cloud nine since I got the call. Hey, I think that's fantastic. Look, any time you can get away from anything in your life that is oppressing you and that is dominating you, uh, not allowing you 
to truly be you. Anytime you can get away from that, that's a good thing, and I encourage it. Uh, I question the amount of money that it takes. Um, I I do encourage federal officers to get in there because they're spanning Arizona, Utah, and Colorado, and it's the same FLDS organization. So that crossing state lines, that's a federal issue. So I, I think we should really crack down on these fringe fundamentalist groups because they are breaking laws. They are sapping taxpayers of their money. And one of the edicts of their organization is to sap the great Satan. It's to suck the money dry. That's what they live for. So, and they're abusing people. So I don't understand why we don't, this should be like priority number one for domestic security along with terrorism protection because in my opinion they're no better than terrorists and if you don't think that they're reaching outside of their little compounds to pull more people in you're fooling yourself it's not like it's the same three families just interbreeding <laughs> i mean they would you know by now they would all be down syndrome people running it of course that wouldn't be so bad i mean okay i'm not gonna start shitting on down syndrome kids <laughs> sorry all right so the next article here is the uh MassachusettsLive.com Feds, Connecticut priest Monsignor Meth dealt drugs, bought sex shop. Wow. By the Associated Press, posted on the 26th by Dave Collins. Hartford, Connecticut. To onlookers, Monsignor Kevin Wallen's fall from grace at his Connecticut parish was like something out of Breaking Bad, the television series about a high school chemistry teacher who becomes a methamphetamine lord. I don't think it... Do you think you need to explain what Breaking Bad was at this point? I mean, I think it's, I think it's permeated our, our culture. Even if you've never seen the show, I'm pretty sure you know what it's about. And for those of you who actually don't watch TV, um, if you do watch the series, it, it is actually a really good one. <laughs> the suspended Roman Catholic priest was arrested on federal drug charges this month for allegedly having methamphetamine mailed to him from co-conspirators in California and making more than $300,000 in drug sales out of his apartment in Waterbury in the second half of last year. Along the way, authorities said he bought a small adult video and sex toy shop in the nearby town of North Haven named Land of Oz and Dorothy's Palace. A pet... Okay, am I the only one that wants to go check that place out now? I mean, I don't want anything to do with the drugs, but the sex shop? Yes, please. <laughs> Apparently to launder all the money he was making. He was pleading not guilty, and jury selection in his trials is scheduled to begin on March 21st. On social media sites, people couldn't help but compare Wallen with Walter White, the main character on Breaking Bad, who's making so much cash that he and his wife bought a car to wash, I'm sorry, a car wash to launder their profits. He's also been dubbed in some media as Monsignor Meth. Wallens, 61, was the pastor of St. Augustine Parish in Bridgeport for nine years until he resigned in June 2011, citing health and personal problems. He uh, previously served six years as pastor of St. Peter's Church in Danbury until 2002. He was granted a sabbatical in July 2011. The diocese in Bridgeport suspended him from public ministry last May. Okay, so wait a second. That means uh, he actually wasn't a Monsignor during this time. So he was out of the church when he was doing this stuff. So he's just a criminal. Alright, okay. So it's not surprising that the news uses his past to make a scathing headline, but it's, a, it's just a little bit not true. You know, I, I think that's a little misleading. Huh. 
Diocese officials have become concerned about Wallen in the spring of 2011 after complaints about his appearance and erratic behavior, Diocese spokesman Brian Wallace told the Connecticut Post. Some reports of his behavior were startling. We became aware that he was acting out sexually with men in the church rectory. Gasp! You mean a priest? A Catholic priest acting out sexually with men in the church? That actually, in the rectory. Oh, how the irony. The rectory is, is now a term. Look, uh, <laughs> this is different because they're not children. They were men. So that's, that's a huge difference there. But <laughs> it's not really surprising. Catholic church, priests having sex with men, kind of not a shock. I mean, let's be honest. The church is, it's silly with, with rape. It's silly with, uh, uh, pedophilia. And what pisses me off is that people are equating, like, homosexual men with pedophilia. And in this case, uh, as far as we are in the article right now, there's no pedophilia involved. It's all just homosexual men. But there's a complete different distinction. <laughs> just because you're a homosexual, does not equate you liking little children. And it pisses my... I know people who make this connection all the time when they're talking about Catholic Church and uh, the priests abusing boys. That is not homosexuality. That's a completely different fucking thing. And it's a sickness, and it's disgusting, and you cannot equate pedophilia with homosexuality the same way that you cannot equate heterosexuality and pedophilia because guess what there's pedophiles that fuck around with little girls too it's not just little choir boys so they are not the fucking same thing and do not equate them that's bullshit and i know you know people who have made this mistake because i cannot be the only one in this, in this world who sees it happening it's infuriating um okay so Buh, buh, buh. <laughs> I'm going off a lot of different rants this week. Um, Wallace didn't return several messages left by the Associated Twet Press. News of Monsignor Kevin Wallen's arrest comes with a sense of shock and concern on the part of the diocese and the many people of Fairfield County who have known him as a gifted, accomplished, and compassionate priest, especially in the rectumectory. <laughs> it's never going to catch on. Um, the diocese said in a statement on January 16th, after learning about Wallen's arrest, we asked for prayers for Monsignor Wallen during the difficult days ahead for him. You're going to pray for a fucking drug dealer? Is that the sickness that is Christianity? Yeah, let's pray for the guy who is breaking up families with drugs, that is selling illegal substance to other people and fucking people in the rectory. That's right. I'm not going to let it go. <laughs> Whalen's arrest called attention to larger problems within the church. Really? That was what called attention? Um, said Voice of the Faith in the Diocese of Bridgeport, one of the many local chapters of the lay organization formed in response to the sexual abuse crisis in the church. Catholics have to ask whether the mandatory obligation of celibacy imposes a harmful burden on priests and whether women ought to be admitted into the priesthood, the group said in a statement. Oh, okay, that, here's another thing. You cannot equate... <laughs> They are not equal. Um, making a vow not to have sex and becoming a pedophile. One does not make the other. Alright? You are either a pedophile or you are not. It is a sickness. It is a mental disease. 
my psychology instructor dealt with um, uh, predators, uh, pedophiles in prison, and she would go and actually talk with them, and she worked with them for years, and they there is no coming out of that. There, it's the same thing. Whether if you're a homosexual, if you're a heterosexual, you're just that way. That is what turns you on. You cannot convince people to not be attracted to children. It's disgusting, but it's a reality. And so you cannot say that Catholic priests saying that they um, are celibate or because there's only men Catholic priests is the cause of the raping of children. It is not fucking equal. I'm kind of pissed now. <clears throat> the steady decline in the number of priests, the aging priests, the terrible sin of pedophilia among priests, and the downfall of Monsignor Wallen are all signs of a sickness in the priesthood. It's called the Catholic religion. It's called Christianity. It is time to seek a remedy for this awful malady that threatens the Eucharist, the center of Catholic life. The remedy is to get rid of the lie, the sickness that is Christianity. That's my perspective. Elizabeth Bajon, a member of the St. Augustine congregation, told the New York Times that Wallen needed the prayers of parishioners. This is all the work of evil, she said as she left Mass last weekend. He was not close enough to God. He was tempted by the devil. Okay. <laughs> now you're fucking on my turf. You don't get, you don't get to say that the devil convinces people to do shit like that. The devil, my dear, and I know from personal metaphorical experience, convinces you to enjoy life but to respect the laws in the society that you live in we do not hurt children that is not the work of the devil we do not abuse children and other human beings that is not what we are about we are about personal personal success we do not sell illegal drugs to people that is not satanic the devil is my playground, and you don't get to play. Get the fuck out of my sandbox, and don't be blaming my shit for your problems. I know what she meant, and I know I'm taking something that's completely not personal, personally, but it just pisses me off. Wallen's case has drawn comparisons to that of Reverend Ted Haggard, a well-known evangelical megachurch pastor in Colorado who was forced out of his job in 06 after a male escort alleged Haggard had paid him for sex and bought crystal meth. Federal agents arrested Wallen on January 3rd and grand jury indicted him and four others during, I'm sorry, four other people on drug charges in January 15. All are charged with one count of conspiracy to distribute 500 grams or more of a substance containing methamphetamine and 50 grams of actual methamphetamine, a crime that carries 10 years to life in prison upon conviction. Wallen is also charged with six counts of possession with intent to distribute methamphetamine. Last July, Drug Enforcement Administration agents in New York told agents in the New Haven office that there was an unidentified Connecticut-based drug trafficker distributing methamphetamine in the region. Two months later, an informant told the DEA that the trafficker was Wallen. According to an affidavit, 
by Agent J. Salvatore in New Haven. The Connecticut Statewide Narcotics Task Force was also investigating Wallen. Authorities said an undercover officer within the state task force brought methamphetamine from Wallen six times from September 20th to January 2nd, paying more than $3,400 in total for the 23 grams of the drug. All right, I'm going to... I'm going to jump back again. This pisses me off because they're blaming it on the devil and he wasn't close enough to God. What about his will? If you are a Christian, if you believe that your God gives you free will, why don't you let them take the responsibility for their actions? Instead of saying, he needs your prayers, it was someone else that made him do it. It was the devil. He didn't want to do it. The devil told him to do it. You are sick and you are encouraging. You are allowing this sickness to continue let people take the responsibility of their actions and if that means they go to prison then so be it but don't pray for them because that's not going to do anything it's not going to make you feel any better it's not going to make those strung out sick on the drugs feel any better and it's not going to make this jackass who's going to do some hard time hopefully feel any better Connecticut U.S. Attorney David Fine said federal and state authorities worked together in the dismantling of what we alleged was a significant methamphetamine distribution organization that spanned from California to Connecticut. Also charged in the case was Kenneth Devries, or yeah, 52 of Waterbury, Michael Nelson, 40 of Manchester, Chad McCluskey, 43 of St. Clement, Clement, uh, California, I butchered that, and Christine uh, Lashober, 47 of Laguna Niguel, California. Authorities say McCluskey and Lashover were involved in the shipping of methamphetamine to Wallen. Messages by the Associated Press were left lawyers for Wallen, McCluskey, and Lashover. Wallen is being detained without bail at the Bridgeport Correctional Center. State records show. Well, you know what? I, I don't even think he should go to prison and have uh, force rape by the other sick inmates. Uh, I think we should just kill him. I mean... 10 cents. The alternative is send him to prison and have the taxpayers pay for him to exist. And um, I don't think that's really fair on the taxpayers. That burden, personally. All right, that's going to do it for the Infernal Informant. We're almost over, people. Thank you for sitting through my rants. <laughs> I appreciate it. And let's go ahead and dive into the creature feature. What's this show called? What do you mean, what is it called? You know, what's the name of the show? What, like the title? What, what's the title of the show? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, what's the big deal? What's the title of the show? Look, it should be good enough for you and for any of you other Generation Y's or X's or W's or Z's or, or, or whatever fancy letter you're, you're sitting on today to, to realize that it's not about what the title is. It's not about... When I was your kid, there's only one thing that we had growing up. When we wanted to watch a show, we just turned on the telly uh, in Saturday mornings, and you know what we got? Do you know? Do you have any idea that what we got? No, I have no idea. Why are you freaking out? Every single Saturday, and we didn't know what shows were, what what titles were, or or what. We, we had no choices on what to watch. We were stuck with the creature feature, and so are you. <laughs> My kids are watching Bob's Burgers. That is such a funny show. Um, okay, so yeah, that, you might actually hear them talking in the background. Okay, so I'm going to give you the book review. This is actually Washington Times uh, book review, and then I'm, I'm going to give you sort of my take on it and what I liked and what I didn't like about it. No Easy Day, the first-hand account of the mission that killed Osama bin Laden by Mark Owen. The Pentagon has already reviewed this book. We don't... <laughs> what? 
When we don't like a book, most of us in the business of literary criticism give it a bad review and suggest that people not buy it. The Pentagon's reviewers have threatened to prosecute the author. That has made the book reviewing a full-contact sport. Unfortunately, it also increases sales. This is poor strategy on the part of the bureaucrats. No Easy Day is the story of the raid by members of the Navy SEAL Team 6 to kill Osama bin Laden in May 2011. The author is a former SEAL and was on a mission. Uh, the author's pen name is Mark Owen, although his real name has been revealed by leaks. I'll use the pen name in the review because Mr. Owen claims to have delivered the coup de grace to bin Laden after the terrorist was shot in the head by another SEAL. That will likely make Mr. Owen or his family a terror target. I'll honor his request for anonymity, even if others have not. The author and his co-writer have done what they set out to do. They give a feel of the, I can't even read. They give a feel for the sights, sounds, and emotions of the raid and how the special operations forces of the United States train for and plan such operations. The first portion of this book deals with how the author became a member of the Elite SEAL Team 6, formerly known as the Naval Special Warfare Development Group. Team 6 is the elite of the elite. It is assigned the high-profile missions, such as the Bin Laden takedown. To become a member of SEAL Team 6, one has to be the first qualified as a SEAL. This is no mean feat in itself. Uh, once chosen, candidates have to go through a nine-month process of screening and training known as Green Team. This training pushes the candidates to their physical and mental limits in order to produce individuals who while being extremely competitive, can work seamlessly as a team and respond to unexpected combat situations with minimum disruption to unit cohesion. This was critical in the Bin Laden raid in Pakistan. The second half of the book details the preparation for the raid, the raid itself, and the aftermath. The real controversy over this book is not its literary merits, it's on whether or not it should have been written at all. The Pentagon claims that the military secrets were revealed. It's almost impossible for a reader to determine if that is true, because the classification system has been abused so badly in recent decades that it's difficult to access what has been classified because of it, it protects national security and was merely embarrassing to decision makers. With two possible exceptions, I see nothing in this book that reveals anything that has not yet been leaked to writers who have done previous accounts. It is not read before the rules or I had not read before the rules of engagements would allow bin Laden to be taken alive if he got clear signs of surrender. He appeared to be resisting when he was shot, but it now appears he was merely disoriented. The author makes it clear that bin Laden died badly. Like Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi before him, he expired passively, not in the display of heroic martyrdom that all three promised. My problem with this book is not whether it reveals classified tidbits, Rather, it's the fact that the open source information about special operations set in the way puts our troops and the missions in danger. The book will be a bestseller, and someone eventually will have written one, but it's a violation of confidence. Our adversaries can and do read. I teach a class on adversary thinking at the graduate level with this book, those like it, and leaks with high legal government officials, I could prepare some very nasty baited trap ambushes for future American special operations. In this way, government officials who leak details about special operations are irresponsible, if not criminally negligent. Prosecuting the author in this case, however, would be a slippery slope. A smart defense lawyer would subpoena a variety of very high-level congressional and administration officials regarding their involvement in revealing national security information, 
That would be toxic in an election year. To make it clearer what is and isn't acceptable in the future, the Pentagon needs to tighten its rules on publication, which are much looser than those of the CIA. Gary Anderson is a retired Marine colonel who teaches a graduate class in red teaming and the George Washington University's Elliott School of International Affairs. So, for a little bit of clarity, um, this was written by Gary Anderson, and um, again, posted on the Washington Times on September 12th of last year. Okay, so I read this, and I do not see... I was in the military, so I understand, and actually my job in the military was communication security. I was given... Um, special training uh, about communication security and confidentiality and I was uh, I ran my own communication shop and so I had to deal with that on a day-to-day -day basis so from that aspect I didn't see anything reading this book that divulged secrets all I read was a very entertaining military story of someone who fought his way to being at the tip of the spear the elite team six um he was a model soldier who admitted candidly his own failings his own doubts he put himself in human terms and that is not easy um for a soldier to do without feeling uh like they're uh, giving up some authority of themselves you know you're sort of selling yourself out if you're not honest this is something that i um take very close to heart because I'm very open about my setbacks and, and you know what I'm trying to work on as a human being and um, whether it's podcasting or homebrewing or design whatever passions I have in life I'm very open and honest about them and that is what I think you have to be if you want to be regarded as someone of uh, authority and respect so I completely respect this um, this soldier uh, and I mean that in a very, very proud and honorable way for not only being, for not only writing it in the way he did, which I thought was amazing, but he made something that could potentially not be interesting, very interesting. And that's training and that's um, uh, military missions. It's not Hollywood. So keep that in your head when you're, if you're going to go pick this up, I got it at the library, but it is very, very informative about why the best are seen as the best but it doesn't give away specifics so i mean that whole argument is bullshit i do like i do like the raid on osama bin laden because he was killed you know it, and they spoke to it in the article he was killed as a coward not as you would think the people the fools that he convinces to strap on bombs to their chests and run out screaming oh la 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 um no he didn't want to die. He didn't want to fight. He was hoping that he would be taken alive and questioned and living in martyrdom. He, but living being the operative word. But this SEAL Team 6, it was funny because it was always assumed that, at least in the news that I was listening to, that the point was to go and capture him, not to go kill him. And then you had shows like... Um, the Daily Show with Jon Stewart saying, yeah, I'm sure, you know, they were just like, well, you know, if he blinks, shoot him in the face. You know, it, it that was sort of like, take him alive if you have to, but, uh, you know, just kill him. Tongue in cheek. But that was kind of what it was. I mean, you know, describing it, and it was a little letdown. The guy 
pokes his head out around the corner to see who is shooting and he was trying to be as secretive as possible and by just his head being stuck out and the the um and i'm sort of ruining it for you if you haven't read it so spoiler alert but the seal team didn't know who he was when they shot him they just saw a port uh, you know the silhouette of a head of a man and so they shot it and that's the exact same way that his um brother died as well except at least his brother had a weapon on him osama bin laden didn't even try he didn't even try to fight back, to stand for all the bullshit rhetoric, that, that bullshit uh, fundamentalist, again, the fundamentalist, Islamic rhetoric that he's been spreading all throughout the world. Burning that fire of terrorism in all of those fools. He didn't even stand up and fight for it. In the end, it was a letdown. Because as Americans, certainly in the experience I have, we want to fight. We look for a fight. If you are going to talk shit about the way we see the world, then you better step the fuck up. Obama didn't even do that. I'm <laughs> Was that a slip? <laughs> Osama bin Laden didn't even do that. He just fucking kowtowed with his women and children and got his head shot by accident. And then it took a long time to even convince uh, for the people to even tell these SEALs the women and children that were with him, that it was Osama bin Laden. And then, of course, they did dental and blood and bone and DNA, and, you know, they did a whole bunch of testings before they was actually officially released. Great story, though. It, very military-centric, um, but in a human way. And that's really why I enjoyed this book, and I highly recommend it to anyone. Anyone, because it'll give you a little bit more appreciation for the soldiers of America and the types of missions and it doesn't sugarcoat anything okay i i mean there's it talks about the dysfunction of washington and how the president and vice president take a lot of credit for doing something that they had nothing really to do with other than saying yes or no but this is all part of the politics of the military and so it's accepted and it's not really harped on at all um it's a great book i didn't realize i needed closure with osama bin laden because i had no personal connection um with 9-11 other than it you know just being an american attack but i did feel a solid cathartic expression you know within me after reading it and it was it was very nice and i was very pleased i was a little pissed but it, it, in a good way like it felt me it helped me feel really good so if uh, you know maybe it would do the same thing for you and even if not it's a good story so check it out and that's no easy day by mark owen and that's gonna do it that is it for yet another, the 27th of January episode of Nine Cents. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website, ninecentspodcast.com, and send your correspondence to info at ninecentspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, or corrections, or even general comments you might have. You can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for Nine Cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at ninecentspodcast.com. We're also on LastFM, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there i know some of you are having streaming issues this is going to go on unfortunately i'm sorry for those of you who are suffering from this the only way i can get non-issues because i have such a, a a huge audience much bigger audience than i ever anticipated um i do not have my own servers i'm sharing server space with other people and the only way i can cut down on those streaming errors that you're getting is if i pay for my own server this is a hobby of mine. 
I can't even get a lot of you to donate to Radio Free Satan to get it going. So I'm not even going to ask you to donate to me, so, you know, to, to help pay for this. I accept that I'm footing the bill for this because it's what I want to do. This is something that I find joy in doing. So, you know, that being said, I'm going to continue doing it, but you're going to continue having those errors if you're experiencing them. There's a lot of people who aren't. And actually, the majority of people aren't. Um, but if you are experiencing problems, please check me out on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, because those are other people who have dedicated servers as well, and you can still listen to the same amazing content uh, without those streaming errors if you're experiencing them. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, the source for online satanic media. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I am your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, hail Satan.